Hello and welcome and Happy New Year from Rose Tinted Black and White Television with me Guy Morgan and my co-host David Newell. We're going to be looking at a selection of things that we've promised to do including a roundup of the gold rubbers and a mention of manhunt. <laughs> a brief mention of manhunt I must admit. But first Dave. Yes. You have been off to Italy doing the International Man of Mystery. I have, yes, over the Christmas period, yes. Do you think Simon Templar ever came back with COVID? I, you know what? Um, you know, getting COVID for Christmas when ideally what I really wanted was Patrick Stewart's autobiography. It's it's not the same. It's it's not the same, but. Um, uh, uh, the weird thing is how quickly one can recover from it because I tested positive on the day before I travelled back and when I did travel back with my mask and my gloves and my hand sanitised eyes and I arrived back home here in Leeds I immediately took another test and that was negative All right. Well, that must be something to do with Brexit. I think it's maybe the uh, cheap Chinese testing kits that the Italians import are cheaper than the cheap Chinese testing kits that the UK import. The only explanation. But you're uh, fully recovered. I, I am, yes. I mean, it's, it's odd, you know, as to whether I really did have it or whether it was just a, you know, a knackered um, testing kit. Uh, you know, I didn't feel particularly fluey or coldy or, or, or anything like that um, but as a precaution I was confined to barracks but uh, that meant I was able to to engage in a little bit of TV and um, I thoroughly enjoyed Only Murders in the Building. Oh With, right, refresh my memory as to what that is. Uh, it is uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez who all live in a very respectable respectable um, apartment building in New York um, and one of their neighbours is murdered um, and they start a podcast about it. Okay. Also begin to investigate the murder themselves uh, and you've you've got kind of the joy of Steve Martin and Martin Short who are obviously very comfortable in one another's company um, just doing what they do best and luckily enough um, they do that very well. And Selena Gomez plays very well off them and, and bounces off them. And, and there's lots of surprise people in it um, as well. Is it... I think it's in its set third series now, I think. And that's on Disney Plus, I think, yeah. Okay. So is it a sort of low budget would be the wrong word, but is it an economical kind of setup where you basically got them going round a single building and then... Yeah, primarily it is, you know, it's kept from, you know, from apartment to apartment. So it's, it's, um, it, it kind of just confines itself to that aspect of, you know, using the, the, the location. They do use a um, kind of like a real building, a real New York building. It's done... Uh, very well first series kind of like comes to a lovely um logical conclusion and it is also quite funny in terms of how it does look at the rise of podcasting yes as we know and our millions of worldwide <laughs> yes listeners will attest yes yeah. it, it is the new rock and roll 
I saw that while I was um, uh, confined to quarters, and I also saw um, the very kind of knowing, um, but funny, um, the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window, which is a Mickey take of all those types of films where, uh, well, such as the woman in the window, the girl on the train, um, types of films where uh, um, someone witnesses something, but of course they're not believed. They're not believed because they have an emotional character weakness and uh, then they have to begin sleuthing themselves to prove their worth. So yes, it was it's quite pleasant in in that respect. But weather, it was lovely. Um, well, I'm out in Italy, so I was able to sun myself on the terrace. It was about 20 degrees Christmas Day. Brilliant. Uh, they've had some pretty awful weather since, I think. Oh, God, yeah, it's gone right downhill. So you were very fortunate in that. Um, uh, talking about broadly contemporary television, I'm afraid I managed to watch the Father Brown 2022 Christmas episode. Oh, right, OK. And Mark Williams and Nancy Carroll aside, it was awful. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, apologies to anyone who uh, was part of that uh, because it's just, uh, it. yes, <laughs> it's just my personal opinion. But nah, and I didn't watch the new Agatha Christie version of Oh, Murder is Easy. Murder is Easy. That's right. But I understand that it was mm, okay, and they moved it to the fifties because the fifties are new thirties now, because. Father Brown is set in the in the fifties, and it must be something to do with the availability of props and cars. Mm. Imagine, <laughs> yeah. But I have been, as usual, living in the past when it comes to television. Last night, as a case in point, we rewatched a Rupert Davis Maygray. Okay, uh, and then the last episode of Roger Moore's Saint, which was in colour, okay. the World Beater. And waiting for me is not only Fireball XL5. Lined up, ready to go. But the first of the remaining episodes of Dixon of Doc Green, which Talking Pictures have That's acquired. That's right. Now, I, I've seen the adverts for um, Dixon of, of Doc Green. Um, and I, I suppose it's, it's, it's a little bit of a strange genesis um, because it's one of those series uh, which sprung from a, a well-respected and well-loved film, um, but the oddity being it's from a respected and well-loved film in which the main character does die. Can you name another TV series from the 50s stroke 60s, early, early 60s, which is based on a well-known character in a film who died in the feature film right the only one i can think of is the 1960s hard-nosed police thriller madigan oh, richard right. widmark um where spoiler alert he he dies at the end of the feature film um because it's it's it's, it's a horrible depressing job in new york city but his his character was revived for um, a series of TV movies in the 70s, early 70s, including one where he comes to London, much like Columbo did in Dagger of the Mind. Oh, well, that's always a trip out from the studio, isn't it? Uh, a little bit of location work. Yeah, what I was thinking of was The Adventures of Harry Lyme. Oh, right, yes, yeah. Yeah, with Michael Rennie, who gives the notorious 
rather saint-like character who <laughs> a certain kind of alien otherness. Is it safe to say it's a revisionist version of Harry Lyme in the TV series? The, the TV Harry Lyme appears to be very much in the mould of Simon Templar, as in someone who goes round the world on his business, which we're not quite sure what is, might be to do with antiques, might be, but people turn to him in times of need and he comes up trumps. Yeah, right, yeah, like I said, bit of a bit of a change of pace. Yeah, that, that, that's right. It is one of those things, and perhaps we can discuss this uh, in another programme, where you have someone who is a villain, who, not necessarily the main character, but uh, who then becomes a regular sidekick to our main hero. I don't know, would Tonto in The Lone Ranger count as that? Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Possibly, kind of, yeah, fitting in. Initially an, an adversary. I'm thinking about the Birdman character in Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Oh, right, Hawk. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. sounds familiar. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's uh, uh, um, kind of like a villain and then realises possibly the error of his ways mm. um, and, yeah, decides to come on board with, with Buck and the gang, Buck and Wilma and that little... Dr. Theophilus and Tweaky. Yes. Uh, there were probably instances of Star Trek. I don't know about the original series, but certainly in the next generation, there were former enemies who have now become loyal... Loyal allies and yeah. pals. But yes, going back to, to Dixon and Doc Green, um, I, I suppose that the, the thing we, which we must respect um, is the longevity of the series... Although you were stretching credulity a little bit, where in the final series, George Dixon is kind of confined to desk duty. Well, I think he's, the, he's out of uniform by that time, isn't he? Yeah, because at the time, um, Jack Warner would have been 81, which is just beyond the boundary of a serving police officer's age, I think. Yes, I, mean, I remember him talking, probably on Parkinson, <laughs> about becoming George Dixon in the series where he basically started at the age where most constables retired <laughs> um, yeah. and then went on for oh, must have been 20 years wasn't it but he also said that because uh, he was in the uniform and he was asked whether he got any trouble being on location in uniform and he said he always kept a truncheon in the back pocket real edward norton approach to to dramatic acting there <laughs> yeah. but anyway i've got that to look forward to i don't believe it's the first episode i'm not entirely sure which year uh it was from but um yes we'll have a look at dixon of dot green um if you care to catch a few and are most of them still knocking about the episode they weren't like wiped all the discs used to like hold up a chair leg in in broadcasting house or something like that it's possible um i mean talking pictures entire remit is to retrieve the stuff out of other people's skips eee. we shall see but i think we're probably certainly pro into past the first series because it's all about andy crawford's wedding as far as i can tell from the synopsis um and it does seem to be short. It only seems to be half an hour, because I remembered them as being longer. 
Um, and Andy Crawford is the one that used to do most of the running around, didn't he? That's right, yes. I mean, very occasionally, George Dixon would uh, walk into a room and look imposing. <laughs> yeah, he's been shot. And I think he got shot again during this TV series. So, you know, yeah. it's... It's a bit George. Yeah, uh, it's it, it'd start to take it personally after a while, I would have thought. Get the message. You'd leave, wouldn't you? You'd just go, oh, I don't think this is for me. Yes, it... Um, You'd become a freelance investigator. Yes. <laughs> Perhaps, uh, I don't know, if you had a commercial okay. radio station, you could start investigating yeah. cases. But um, that would be such a terrible yeah. idea. It's much more hip and on trend to uh, set up a podcast. So, Dave, did you, apart from that episode with Ian Hendry, have you caught any other episodes of The Gold Robbers? I've, I've not watched the uh, um, the Gold Robbers. I will confess to have not done my homework, listeners, viewers. However, what I've always what I always find myself doing is absorbing it um, through the closing minutes of each show, because okay. usually it precedes something that I want to see next. Right on talking pictures, and because my stereo video radiogram is broken i'm i'm not able to to record it so i would normally watch whatever comes after the the, the gold robbers live so normally just see that that last couple of scenes and given that it's a police show um those last couple of scenes are always quite despairing you know because i i, I think what's one of the interesting features of the of the gold robbers is it's focused on one crime. It's not like a crime a week type um, type police program that we would have been used to. And this this idea of of a really long running case um, and the various avenues of of investigation that that Peter Vaughan and his his crew go down. A lot of it is is quite despondent. There's one where someone got shot at the end of an episode. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'll kind of run through it because I have actually sat through them and I also spun through them again because I watched them week by week. Okay. Um, and as you know, I remember something of the very last episode when it originally went out. We'll come back to that to see whether my memory has played tricks on me. <laughs> uh, but we started off and... Given the whole 13 episode, the full kind of story arc, it's not bad, actually. I mean, there's um, some decent writers, some very decent acting. Um, it's a strange thing because even though it's about a single crime and the police, Jason, you spend an awful lot of time with the villains and the villains' families. So the early episodes, say in the first half, are more like domestic dramas with the police intervening and causing problems. So, and I suppose the one with Ian Hendry is a case in point. I will summarise the end of it. Uh, I would tend to agree that you don't necessarily watch it for laughs. It's a long way from Dixon the Doc Green. Oh, yes, yeah. And that warning about attitudes and language is well-deserved. It's not rude language, it's attitudes of the time, um, I yes, think. Yeah. There's 
a few references because the gold has come from Africa. I suppose the Biafran War was just finishing, so it's kind of alluding to that. But there's a few disparaging references to um, African governments. I don't know if misogynistic is the right word, but certainly women don't tend to come out of things terribly well. And let's start off with the gold robbery. It's quite brutal, thick ear stuff. Even though the show is mainly studio-based, the location stuff is on, I think it's black and white, uh, 16mm, and so it kind of looks quite grainy. It's always difficult to make that assumption because it depends on the transfer or whatever it is, but my guess is it's shot on 16mm, and I'm not even sure whether they would have had a, a sound crew with them, so some of it might be mute with effects dubbed in afterwards. I think the first episode could have been cut better for more tension. What did you think of the music by Max Harris? It's quite moodily done. I can't imagine it being one of those themes that was released as a single. <laughs> uh, you know, much like, like, well, like the theme music to Shoestring or Hong Kong Beat um, or, or, or something like that. I, I suppose what's, what's interesting um, with, with the episode I've seen and the other bits that I, I've seen, it is sort of like the, the psychology behind it. You know, the idea of um, Peter Vaughan being asked to investigate his crime, because, you know, that's his job, he's a copper, um, but how it, it becomes all-consuming for him. I mean, I think he said in an interview at the time that it was somebody a character a bit like himself who's kind of obsessed with his work i don't know if he actually said this but certainly in the character's case it's to almost to the exclusion of everything else i mean it is violent stuff once the gold's been spirited away and at least one policeman has been killed and maybe another security card i kind of lost count and lots of people blinded with ammonia which is extremely nasty yeah. and they r refer to that later on then the police swing into action and the local cops aren't really up to snuff and chief superintendent craddock of the yard also has to fight his own cynicism which becomes a bit of a theme we check the car sir unidentifiable registration number not yet issued well what do you expect from professionals nothing in from the checkpoint gentlemen no well i didn't expect there would be did you i mean it's the usual story too little too late Report just in, sir. Incident at checkpoint seven. Right, Sergeant. A car driven by a woman jumped the checkpoint and then crashed. Male passenger. Woman states she picked the man up on the main London road two miles east of here. And Mrs. Lum. She also states she was threatened. Gods. I've had them looking through the modus operandi of every con man, barker, mock oxen merchant, all the possible. All right, all right, all right. Let's see him then. Barry Porter. No, no, he's rubbish. I don't cross him off. Check him. Check them all. You never know. Okay. Nah. This job wouldn't be his style. Well, all the rest are accounted for. Except Barry Porter. He wasn't home. Barry Porter never had a home. He's off with some rich boiler. How long's he been out? Six months. Been at his sister's. Nah. This job wouldn't be his style. Too rough, too risky, too big. Uh, that's true enough. He's a dead coward, Barry. All the same, I'd like to put out a general on him. Then put one out. Right. You were right. Huh? Barry Porter. 
He shacked up with a boiler in a three-star hotel on the coast. Mrs. Valerie Towers. Rich. <laughs> Ex-husband loaded. Hosiery. Lester. Good settlement. How much? 3,000 tax-free for life. Plus all goods and chattels as agreed. Is he right in? Right in. Feet under the table. Feet? Hope he's doing a bit better than that. <laughs> well, good luck to him. I still don't see what the hell it's got to do with this case. He bought the boiler a fur coat two days ago. What a waste. How do you know he bought it? He paid in cash, 1200 How do you know it's his cash? She probably asked him to buy it. Women are like that. When he gets up off the horizontal and starts walking, I might be interested. There's a whole series of things where somebody suggests something to me. Says, oh, no, don't be ridiculous. That's, it's not going to be him. It's not going to be that. And then it turns out to be. I asked him if anything new came in on Lardner from his angle to let us have a look at it. Yeah, but this isn't about Lardner. This is about a bloke called Major the Honourable Timothy Lindsay Edwin Fry. Cool, what a handle. Well, you see, Fry was Lardner's company commander in the Paris, and then he was with him in Biafra. And Davy says the buzz was that Fry was also involved in that screwing job at Gloucester. Oh, that bloody screwing job in Gloucester. It's all anybody can talk about in this place. Is a man like Fry likely to be involved in that sort of job? Bob Stevens seems to think so. Mm. There was something about Fry going to do a flit with Lardner's wife. <laughs> That's very likely, isn't it? Tommy, where is this Fry? I don't know. Give me that stuff back, will you? Get everything you can on Fry. Well, I've been on the records, nothing. No, not our records, other people's records, like a special branch and Burke's peerage. What's so wonderful about Fry all of a sudden? Oh, this report. Major the Honourable Timothy Lindsay Edwin Fry visited Victor Anderson in his office at the club last night. There are other kind of suspicious characters because not only has he got to deal with lowlifes, but there is lots of high finance and politics involved. Ah, Craddock. Tracked it down at last. The assistant commissioner's been on the blow to me. You ought to go straight to the Ministry of Commonwealth Affairs. The minister wants to talk to you urgently. Well, have I got half an hour, sir? I want to interview a suspect. From the assistant commissioner's tone, I'd say the answer was very much in the negative. Also, kind of his own department. Yeah. You know, the, you know is it Peter Copley who's his, his sort of boss? Yes. Uh, and, and you, you know, Peter Copley is one of those people... Well, I can't really imagine being on the beat, to be honest, but... Yeah, I, I would imagine he, he was on the fast track. Yes. Uh, promotion with the uh, uh, Metropolitan Police Service. But he's the sort of boss who you might expect to be hand in glove with the powers that be as the is it assistant commissioner. You know, Tommy, when I die and go to heaven... And what? Hell. I'll have only one regret, that I had to be part of the system. Oh, damn that top brass, they tarnish easy. You're top brass yourself. So help me. So help. And then, you know what? That Richard Leach, as the millionaire MP who owns a newspaper and an airline, looks a bit too smug for his own good. But he's extraordinarily helpful to Craddock. He puts up some reward money. He explains the intricacies of airline movements. He gives Craddock's layabout son a job. And in spite of the fact that the trail keeps leading back to him, episode after episode, DCS Craddock takes a long time to get suspicious. 
And when I was looking at this and uh, thinking, I wonder if the writers had a real life figure in mind um, or if art was actually imitating life at the time. Um, Dave, can you think of a, a real flamboyant millionaire, former MP who owned a newspaper and died just as his business interests all came to grief. I can't think of who on earth that would be. And and, and then his, his, his perhaps own children also had um, kind of like major issues coming out from that. But um, it sounds so far-fetched. It sounds as if it must be made up. Yes. I mean, uh, and the idea of the political elite closing ranks to shut down a scandal, unthinkable nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of CEOs um, being blind to the evidence that they're being faced with, of the injustice on a huge number of innocent people. Again, I mean, that's just the stuff of TV drama, isn't it? Yes. Albeit an extremely potent one with Toby Jones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hey, isn't it great that the story started in Llandidno? I think that's fab. Yes, well, I mean... It's been craggy on. <laughs> so, with the gold robbers, away from the misdoings amongst the rich and powerful, Peter Vaughan's character is quite ruthless in the way that he exploits informants, um, gangsters' wives. It's not good to be a gangster's wife in the gold uh, robbers. No, he's, I mean, he's very single-minded. And like you said, you know, maybe at the cost to um, other relationships in his life or even relationships with his colleagues. That's true. He tends to exploit people or try to exploit people, even when it comes to his own estranged son, a teenage mm-hmm. son, played by a non-teenage Nicholas Ball. <laughs> but don't forget, it, Hazel was ITV. Yeah, Hazel, yeah, ITV, yeah. Um, and I, it's just out of side the golden age, but I think there's a lot to be said for Hazel. Though there's some very strange messing about with the cars because they rearranged the final episodes of the second series because they decided that the last episode wasn't dramatic enough. So there's a continuity problem. But, oh, right, but, but that was, you know, 10 years in the future. Yeah, we talked about the family dramas. There's Joss Ackland's embittered air traffic controller and his 12-year-old daughter. Why is the gunman so important? I mean, apart from the fact that he might shoot someone... Well, you saw the whole robbery in that window of your house. And you're important too, you know. Because when I catch him, you're going to have to identify him. You think he might squeal? <laughs> yeah, he might. Played by Sally Thompson. Would you care to guess how old Sally Thompson was when she did this? Sally Thompson was always able to play out of her range <laughs> or out of her age range. Um, because I think when she did... The railway children, she was meant to be about 13 or 14, but she was actually about 19 or 20 at the time. Yeah, she's 19 in The Gold Robbers, and presumably (laughs) she's about 20. Um, I don't think she's quite married yet. But if we bumped into Sally Thompson socially, (laughs) as unlikely as it may seem, I don't think she'd look any different, to be honest. I think she's one of those actors that just never changes. Who's that child over there in the corner? Can I see some ID, please? (laughs) Yes. Are you old enough to sign a lease on a flat with two other people? (laughs) Yeah, don't think so. But yes, there are some lovely familiar faces in the Gold Robbers. There's um, Mariah Aitken. Um, Turns up in it, like you say, Georgian is. 
um, as yeah. well. We mentioned when, when we were doing our, our, our special, um, Ian Hendry turns up in a very potent and very downbeat episode. Well, it is, but I don't think anyone actually dies in that one. Um, no. which, but you feel as if maybe someone should. Well, it's Ian Hendry, as we discussed, has got that marvellous ability to just look defeated without grandstanding as well. It's just, you know, it's just so believable. So who else have we got? George Cole uh, does a turn as a con man midway in tone and in chronology between Flash Harry of St Trinian's and Arthur Daly. Look, at the risk of sounding like a professional virgin, the answer is still no. Of course. You're not a grass. I know that. You've also got John Binden as well, who um, I suppose our mini connection is that John Binden was played by our um, old friend Charles Charlie Charles. Indeed. Um, in the radio series The Corrupted. Which starred Toby Jones, so there you go, there's a nice little oh, it's... Uh, nice little bit of sidekick. Yeah. Uh, um, kind of like connecting there. You've got Roy Dotrice as well, Bernard Captain, Alfred Lynch, Patrick Allen. You know, there's there's some very familiar and reassuring faces in there. A lot of Avengers points. Roy Dotrice plays a sharpshooter who goes mad, kills his wife's lover, and then climbs up a water tower at the railway and starts shooting oh, people. That was the tail end um, one I saw. A very different role from Mr Haddock in Misleading Cases, I thought. Yes, or, or Beauty and the Beast, indeed, TV series. Being shot is revenge for Harry betrays the troops in The Heroes of Telemark. Oh, right. Well, you had it coming, mate. What else have we got? Uh, we've talked about Ian Hendry and Wanda Ventham's doomed romance. Patrick Allen... As an ex-army mercenary who's uh, up to no good, he chews the scenery a bit. Similar to the one in the black and white saint that we talked about. Oh, the one where it ends up in a cave. Yeah, a lot of swaggering. I mean, if you're going to get anyone for that part, it's got to be Patrick Allen. Yes, um, you know he's going to do it. He's got the voice. Probably got the uniform. Yes. He's also got a scene, I think it's John Binden who comes to see him, actually, at his villa. Patrick Allen has given short shrift to his Latin girlfriend, who um, does a gratuitous topless scene getting out of bed and spends oh, a lot of time sideways and facing the camera while she's getting dressed. You sort of think, hmm, yeah, they really went for a ratings one there. Didn't warn anybody about it, but um, it, that may well have been groundbreaking. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just push this boundary and see how far we can get. There's a lot more violence, including multiple gangland killing, with some charred bodies where they just opened the back of a van that's been burnt out. They didn't shy away from that sort of thing back in the 60s and, and 70s. It's a bit like that uh, episode of Doomwatch where that woman gets eaten by rats. Yes, yeah, it's so shocking. And I'm not so sure they do that nowadays, to be honest, on TV. Only on subscription channels, I suspect. Probably. If you if you want your gore now all through this I don't know because you haven't uh, managed to see him um, in action in the twelve episodes that he was in because he's not in episode six is the real hero and smart sleuth Detective Sergeant Thomas played by Artro Morris. Yes, yeah, no, he seems he's kind of like the the you know for. Peter Vaughan's character can't be so singly driven. 
because dramatically construction wise you know you, you've got to have someone for him to bounce off and be his um well dave he's welsh which in the metropolitan police at the time makes him an ethnic minority <laughs> it would have done he's totally loyal arguably more industrious than Craddock and therefore is indispensable right-hand man. That's the closest relationship that Craddock has in the entire series. Given the genre that we're in, what happens to such noble lieutenants in stories in the last episode? Um, usually, unfortunately, either something quite bad um, or I, I suppose this, this this cynicism may have appeared a little bit later. Um, it turns out that they're in on it. So you've 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 got that that idea of sometimes loyalty being paid off um, by by the loss of their very life, um, or the idea of that. Wait a minute. The only reason why they've been working alongside so closely to um, the hero is that they want to keep an eye on him. Ah, right. Well, of course, in the Lost TV series Snatch Squad, that happens. <laughs> but, yes, I, your first instinct was right. In a rather Sweeney-style chase, where they're going after the last man, last wanted man, uh, true villain, gambling nightclub owner, gangster, Necros. These fans are wrong, good. Yeah. They are alerted by a message, it says, from the High Nick, which presumably means there is a mole somewhere in the Met. Mm. I mean, wouldn't happen nowadays. But they set off and are pursued by Peter Vaughan, uh, Archer Morris, and shots are fired. And Archer Morris dies, and the villains, I think they might be in a white jag, plummet into docks. These are strangely uh, empty-looking docks. They've avoided piles of packing cases, cardboard boxes. Must have been a strike like that. that week. That's, that's what it was. <laughs> Very probably. Anyway, um, so that's the end uh, of those villains. But sadly, Detective Sergeant Thomas dies. Peter Vaughan's character, Detective Superintendent Craddock, he's already in trouble uh, with his superiors because he's had an extramarital affair, which apparently is not allowed in the Met. Um, really? And, uh, 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 until at least the mid-1970s. <laughs> uh, so he goes to see his ex-girlfriend, well, he thinks that she's still his girlfriend. So what about that half-remembered scene from all those years ago? Did I get it right? Here's what I said when the series started. I remember it finishing with Peter Vaughan's character having a drink with a woman who suggests that he writes the story of the gold robbers. Oh, right. We'll see how authentic that memory is. Last time we met, not very long ago, three weeks in fact, I asked you if you were going to come and see me again. And you said you couldn't because I was part of your work. Isn't that what you said? Uh, yeah, but um, I was under a bit of a strain then. I mean, 
things a bit different now. Uh, you see, I, I'm off the case, and as, as I said, I, I may be leaving the police if there was a good... Uh, I mean, if it was, uh, seemed like it was a, um, a good idea, I, d I don't think I'd have much difficulty in getting another job. Could write the story of the gold robbers? John, you and I have had a, a long, longish relationship, isn't that what they call it? I've had more time than you to think about it. It's been pretty fraught, hasn't it, and not really very satisfactory. I think, I think the trouble was that we're, we're both rather lonely sort of people who, who don't get on awfully well with other people. And I don't think it would be much good for either of us to carry on with it. You know I'm serious. Yeah, I'm no, serious. There, there isn't anybody no, else. No, no. It's just that I can't see us making a very, very successful married couple. Can you? As far as I'm concerned, whatever there was was killed stone dead three weeks ago. Well, I was wrong about the conversation being over a drink, and I hadn't remembered it was a breakup scene or oh. that it was Mariah Aitken. <gasps> there we go, mentioned earlier, yeah, um, in an early role. But I did recall that line of dialogue so i think i count that as a plus yes yeah and given how young i was and probably that i hadn't been allowed to see the rest of the series so I didn't really know what was going on what was going on um, asking questions in the family household why are they doing this yes. what's happened previously <laughs> um <clears throat> yes and of course that was the day before vcrs and stuff like that and um whether I would have been allowed to record The Gold Robbers is a moot point. Uh, it is available on uh, DVD for people who want to um, catch up on it. The repeats are coming to an end. They're lagging about six weeks behind the um, original screenings. Uh, so I think we're in about the last two or three weeks of uh, the repeats. And spoiler alert, <laughs> in the end, no one comes out undamaged if they're not dead or in jail. DCS Craddock is being forced to resign because of that extramarital thing. He goes to confront the failed mogul, Richard Bolt, and promises to reveal that he was the man behind the audacious robbery in a vain attempt to save his airline. What a, oh, what a, what a shock. What a shock. There's a lot of glaring, <laughs> and then Peter Vaughan leaves, and as he's about to get into his car, there's the sound of a gunshot. <sighs> so Craddock has solved the case, but he's lost his best friend, he's alienated his son, broken up his marriage, been dumped by his girlfriend, and drives off into the grey home counties in a really crappy Austin 1100. It's almost Greek in its tragic arc and pretty much sums up the end of the 60s. What a living nightmare. Um, I did mention earlier that it is available on, on DVD through um, 
what used to be the lovely network company, but as we know, that unfortunately network, which kind of like provided the opportunity for so many people to re-engage with classic series from the um, 50s, 60s, 70s, um, no longer exists. It went out of business last year. That might explain why they're no longer in stock when you go onto Amazon, because I I was thinking about trying to hoover up some lesser-known series. But, um, yes, I think it's possible that that because of network's demise, they might not be um, um, so readily available now. Which is... No, it, it's keeping your eyes peeled at in charity shops, maybe, or places like that, or um, a CX, or places um, such as such as that. Yes, well, maybe that means that talking pictures could actually start showing. Yes, even yeah. more. You know, there is there is always that opportunity. Yeah, that's a good one. And particularly as great TV have started showing the colour episodes of the Avengers, I definitely think that there's room for the black and white episodes, both studio and film, to be shown on Talking Pictures. (gasps) If they can do a deal with Canal Plus. (laughs) Studio Canal Plus. Um, Yeah, I mean... As you said, when you caught the end of those episodes, uh, they kind of quite downbeat. Mm, yeah, uh, there's no, there's no celebratory, you know, drink down the boozer because we've got our man. You know, it's it's. Um, I suppose to use that that analogy, it's like unpeeling an onion, isn't it? There's there's kind of layer after layer, and and, and the idea of that and it all ends in tears. Yes, <laughs> well, literally, if you do unpeel an onion. Um, but that idea of of it, wait a minute, to to get the person that we've got at the moment, or we've arrested, or has been shot, or, or uh, you know, has 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 met a sticky end, um, is only going to lead us on to someone else. Yeah. Um, so, on the whole, but, I I hmm. think the gold robbers is pretty good. Um, LWT must have been quite pleased with it because they thought, oh well these long-running series are a doddle. Let's double down and have a 26-episode serial set in wartime-occupied France with a lot of the same actors. Mm-hmm. But let's the same crew. A lot of the same crew. Let's um, shoot it all, even the outside scenes, on video. And let's make it so it's like watching paint dry. Um, are you implying possibly that the one of the reasons network film and TV distribution went under is that they did offer the complete box set of Manhunt? Was that them signing them their own death warrants? I would have thought so. I mean, for people who don't know, the major contractors for ITV had been shaken up I think in, it was 1967. So then you got the appearance of Thames, LWT, Yorkshire, Granada stayed. Um, who was the HTV. other one? <laughs> HTV. But the major contractors were kind of guaranteed or obliged to produce certain number of hours of programming. 
and you sort of think oh, somebody comes up with an idea that's going to play for six months. Yeah, great. I have mentioned before that Manhunt speeded up, looks much yeah. more like Allo Allo, and Allo Allo is actually much more enjoyable in terms of characters. <laughs> I have about three that I'm meant to spin through because I'm not going to waste three hours of my life on three episodes. Um, and I'm probably on to about episode eight or nine. And I can't wait for the Germans to catch them. And, you know, and what we've said about, about the Nazis before as being the ultimate villain still stands... But you sort of think, oh, just please, you know, Philip Maddock, turn up, do the don't tell him Pike routine. Or, um... you know, we, we, we've spoken a little bit about this before and, and about how the 1970s was um, probably the last hurrah of um, World War II um, regular based series because you would still have. Many, many people who would have experienced World War II, you know, you've got Manhunt, you've got a couple of years later, I think Colditz came out, you had Secret Army, you had Enemy at the Door, you had the, is it the, the Fourth Arm? Uh, so there the would still be that opportunity for those sorts of series um, to be made, and more importantly, there would be the audience for that. But then, kind of like from the 1980s onwards, um, those you know those series became became fewer and fewer. I guess as as our need for <coughs> drama um, diversified. Yes, I mean obviously people still make stuff um, set in mm. the, the Second World War, but I think possibly some of the revisionist ideas to show that it wasn't all Dunkirk spirit and Bonamy and the Blitz. Mm. may have made things slightly more difficult because it sort of got revived later on because, you know, Britain standing alone is the modern foundation myth post-Empire Britain. Mm. But it's quite difficult to tell the full story and give the kind of the complexity of what um, life was like uh, then in a popular TV series. But yes, the 70s was that time. I'm old enough to just vaguely remember Moonstrike, um, oh, wow. uh, which was very early 60s. And then you got various others. I mean, then you've got things like Manhunt and then all the other ones that um, you mentioned. But not only were the audience old enough to remember, some of the actors who were in those shows yeah. we will be doing an episode about prisoners of war who and i'm talking about stalag luft three uh, the great escape camp where a certain number of people started their showbiz careers doing camp entertainments um i think was it peter barkworth no not peter bar peter butterworth peter butterworth yeah um we'll go into it a bit more rupert davis mm. Um, and although, writing this script, Torbert Rothwell. Um, yes, so we're kind of pointing out shows that we um, might be doing uh, in the new year. Um, on any other business. What has been a lovely Talking Pictures Christmas package treat 
over the period um, is they were repeating the ghost stories for Christmas. Yes. Um, now the 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 tradition of of a of a ghost story for Christmas, um, not just a TV thing. Maybe you know it, it does go all the way back to M. R. James scaring the bejabers out of um, his various charges um, at at colleges and universities and schools. Um, but what's been interesting with this is I, I think they did show. Because originally it was it was one on its own, wasn't it? Which was um, Jonathan Miller's "Oh, a whistle I'll come to you." Mm. Um, you know, originally, you know, done as a as a as a one off, um, and then I think is it is it Lawrence Gordon Lawrence? Oh, what's his name? Lawrence Gordon Clark, Lawrence Clark, who who kind of started this thing in the in the early seventies of. Um, filming a AMR James story um you know with quite high production values yeah and uh, and they and were they very were, creepy normally be shown like BBC <clears throat> 2 usually towards like christmas eve the end of christmas eve um to send you very unsettled to bed yes so um you were hiding under the sheets so you didn't see santa <laughs> um, um yeah the stores of barchester lost hearts um they did have a ash tree is one yeah um then they had a departure to uh charles dickens the signalman mm-hmm. um which was um, um, and they, they they then attempted kind of like a couple of originals they did uh, they got john bowen to to write one called the ice house um and and then sort of it it you know those were repeated quite quite regularly and and um and then there was kind of like a modern spurt there was like number 17 um which is a, a creepy old one set in a um a hotel and then obviously over the past few years it's been um mark gatiss who's been at the forefront and so and like us mark gatiss was marked for life at a very early age <laughs> yes too terrifying Yes, and, but has managed to turn it round into um, a career. Uh, and so, yes, they I, I did watch them. I st- think they still hold up. They do. It's you know, it's it's really un unsett- you know unsettling. Lost Hearts. Those two creepy kids. Um, all of them. You know, you 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 do feel a little bit of sympathy, and uh, for them, given what they probably went through. Very unsettling, but put together and pulled off with elan. Indeed. It was kind of one of those nostalgic things. There was an awful lot of uh, Tommy Cooper, Morecambe and Wise. Um, What's not to like? <laughs> that's, that's right. And you kind of, so when people talk about Dickensian Christmases, the 70s <laughs> Christmas uh, was yes. still pretty good. Obviously, all of that was available on actually not archive channels or you know, TV history channels such as Talking Pictures uh, TV. We had to resort to our own Christmas traditions, which is too many Christmas trees, the black and white oh, Avengers. Right. Yeah, always a forest of Christmas trees. And then uh, there's two Rupert Davis May Greys, which are set at Christmas. All right, lovely. And then there's a New Year's Avengers, which oh, right. okay. um, called Dress to Kill, uh, which is a Kathy Gale black and white version. And 
has Leonard Rossiter being annoying and Richard Leach, who at the end of the decade will be the villain in The Gold Robbers. So that brings us round in a nice circular fashion. There are things that we are, are plotting uh, to look forward to. I might give up on Manhunt, really. <laughs> what you've got to think about, Guy, is that with a little bit of digging, maybe you could get it on a, on a network DVD. Um, because I can't imagine it having been a big popular item. It's not a big ticket item. It's not like the Zoo Gang. No, no, which it sits very proudly on my shelves. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, But sadly, there's only six episodes. I know, hey, but... Um... But that had a stellar cast as well, and various people playing ex-Nazis and mm-hmm. former resistance heroes uh, having to live life 30 years on um, mm. sir john mills of course yes yeah right have you is there anything that you're burning to um explore in uh, um i i'm going to i'm gonna i'm gonna have a little bit of a think um and and come up with some ideas we we also spoke about when um, the format of a TV series, much like in your own beloved Avengers, is is quite radically overhauled, and it's it's how a a series can kind of weather that process, and maybe what comes out the other side was even better than what previously existed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was Avengers saga is fairly well documented, and there are people who have got an even more in-depth granular knowledge of the series than i have but i mean one of i mean one of the other things i suppose we could look at the time period we've got may at first make you think that oh right there's not enough space uh, there's there's not enough years past but it's, it's to sort of look at remakes the other night i was watching um sort of all right is the reboot of the equalizer Okay, with but it's the TV series, mm. the the Equalizer, not the the Denzel Washington films. It's and it's Queen Latifah, who is McCall and uh, uh, strutting their stuff around New York. I don't know whether she does use Edward Woodward Woodward's favourite expression, which was "I'm going to tear you into tiny little pieces." I don't know whether she does that. You know, two examples which kind of spring to mind, um, and one of them we've got access to at the moment is. Um, Dick Barton Special Agent, um, which was you know during the seventies was revived mm-hmm. with with Tony Vogel um, and Just William. Mm. Um, it makes you wonder what the reactions might have been at the time. You know, were people purists at the time saying, "Well, this isn't as good as Dennis Waterman"? Uh, quite possibly. Um, yes, we will save our opinions about Dick Barton. <laughs> Special agent, special agent for uh, another time. But yes, that that is a very interesting idea. Um, we are probably uh, taxing our listeners' stamina. Uh, we so. are. Look, it's all dark behind me. Yeah. So I think I'll wind up proceedings and say thank you very much for listening to Rose Tinted Black and White Television with me, Guy Morgan, and my co-host David Newell. Um, We have been looking at 
television from the golden age of British TV uh, from 1956, the Suez Crisis, to 1974, the three-day week. And we will return with some more random. <laughs> Very carefully thought out and researched. Yes, indeed. I hope that uh, 2024 is treating everyone kindly and things have only just got to get better. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you.